For a long time, blue cities existed in red states without much trouble. But now, thanks to extreme Republican gerrymandering and voter suppression, Republican lawmakers have begun writing bills explicitly targeting Democratic-leaning cities and counties, particularly in how they conduct their elections. This is Defending Democracy, a weekly podcast from Democracy Docket. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Elias. And I'm Paige Moskowitz. Let's get started. In recent weeks, all eyes have been on the state of Tennessee, where Republicans expelled two black legislators simply for joining protesters and calling for gun safety legislation. But this is not the first thing that Tennessee has done to further an anti-democratic agenda. Just a few weeks ago, the Tennessee General Assembly passed a law that would force Nashville to cut its Metro Council in half literally shrinking the size of the Metro Council for one of the most important engines of of economic growth and largest cities in the state. Now, the good news is the Tennessee Attorney General has indicated that he won't appeal that injunction, but the Tennessee General Assembly is now also considering a bill that would force Knoxville, another Democratic city, to change how its city elections are conducted. And so, Paige, we are seeing this happen in Tennessee, but people make a mistake if they think this is just an isolated instance happening in one state. We are seeing this in state after state after state. Some people may think that the acts by the Tennessee General Assembly are an isolated incident or that they're retaliation for these lawmakers joining protesters a few weeks ago. But the reality of it is, is that the legislature has long been engaged in anti-democratic acts. These bills targeting blue cities like Nashville and Knoxville have long been in the making. And it's a part of a larger pattern we're seeing where Republican lawmakers, where red states are targeting their own blue cities. They're cities that have the most population. Mark, like you said, they're often the economic powerhouses. They're passing legislation specifically targeting these blue cities, especially when it comes to elections and how they run them. Right. And there was just an article uh, published by Democracy Docket that laid out actually the history in Tennessee that led to what culminated, not originated, but culminated in those expulsions in the Tennessee legislature. But Paige, we are seeing this now spread from state after state after state. And of course, no state is more eager to be at the forefront of authoritarian anti-democratic action than Texas. It shouldn't be surprising. Well, actually, let's say this. It should be surprising. It's not surprising. It should be surprising (laughs) that lawmakers are trying so blatantly to take power away from local cities and local counties but it's not, right? Like we have seen them do anti-democratic acts over and over again. Texas, this most recent round, we saw that the Texas Senate recently passed SB 1933, which is a bill that would allow the Secretary of State's office to take over election administration at the county level if the office has, quote, good cause to believe that a recurring pattern is a problem with election administration or voter registration exists in the county, end quote. Right. 
But this is not aimed at all of the counties in the state. You know, this is this is like when we saw Georgia do a similar thing in 2021. They 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 couch it in terms of well, we want the state to be able to step in if counties unnamed do something. But Paige, in Texas, it's very clear where they're going. It is very clear that they are targeting Harris County. We have talked about this time and time again. Harris is the largest county in Texas. It is where Houston is located. It is a Democratic stronghold. And when we say it's big, we mean it's big. Harris County has about 4.7 million residents. The next biggest county is Dallas County. It has 2.6 million residents. Harris is big. It's powerful. It's where all the oil and gas companies are headquartered. It's a major county in the state of Texas that just so happens to typically vote blue. Right. And that is in the eyes of Greg Abbott and the Republican-dominated legislature enough to punish Harris County. And of course, Paige, again, as we talk about how these things all feed on each other, this is the legislature that has tried to punish Harris County before. Harris County recall, had very innovative um, ways of making sure people could vote in the middle of the pandemic with with drive-through voting and 24-hour voting. And then what did we see? We saw the Republican legislature target uh, Harris County's uh, efforts uh, to, to solve those problems, drop boxes. So there's a long history of Republicans targeting Harris County to erode democracy. Right. And it just so happens that the list of so-called election problems that could cause uh, a county to be taken over by the secretary of state, which, by the way, is an appointed position in Texas. It's not an elected position. The secretary is appointed by the governor. Um, A lot of those so-called issues that are listed in the bill happened in Harris County. They happened in other counties as well during the 2022 election. But Republicans seem laser focused on Harris County. There is another bill that would eliminate the position of election administrator, but only in counties with a population of 3.5 million or more. Like we just said, Harris County is the only county with that many people. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Just pause on that for a second. I mean, it's not even that creative. You know, I mean, like you set a numerical threshold. It only covers one county. It only county covers one county. And the next closest county is like a million off it. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's so clear what is going on here. And you mentioned, by the way, that the secretary of state is not elected in Texas, which is really, uh, you know, not completely unheard of, but it's unusual. And what it means is that Greg Abbott can essentially control Uh, the administration of elections if the state were to take over. But in Harris County, you have popularly elected, innovative county judge in Lena Hidalgo, who has, you know, appointed the elections director, but she is very much accountable to the people of Harris County. Right. And she recently just won re-election. You know, she's going to serve for a couple more years. The the people of Harris County voted for her. Now, you told me something before the podcast that I think is really insightful about how democracy has eroded in this country. You know, it used to be that, that the one thing you could count on elected officials to do above everything else 
was to be very parochial about their their own constituents, right? So, you know, Democrats and Republicans would disagree on a lot of things, but where there was a parochial interest, they looked out for their local interests. But I think you told me before the podcast that the the person who is actually sponsoring the legislation to target Harris County is Senator Paul Betancourt of Harris County. Yeah. So like this is a further indication of the erosion of democracy and democratic norms, because you would think a senator from Harris County would want to stick up for the voters of Harris County rather than disenfranchise them or burden them or or let their let their county be taken over. And I think perhaps one of the most egregious bills that Betancourt has sponsored this legislative session is SB 1993. SB 1993 would give the Secretary of State the authority to order an election to be rerun in counties with a population of more than 2.7 million. Again, that only applies to Harris County. Imagine your own state lawmaker. And when I say this, I really mean my own state lawmaker. Like he represents my home district in Harris County sponsoring a bill to rerun the elections because you may not like the outcome. Yeah, or you may not win. Right. Although (laughs) he didn't have that problem in 2022 because he ran unopposed. Right, which is a whole other problem involving gerrymandering and the like. But it just, again, goes to show that people who think that voter suppression ends the matter of affecting the rules of elections are wrong. People who think that redistricting does are wrong. People who think that, um, you know, the changing of, of election rules or appointing secretaries of state, it, 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 it will never end, right? What we saw in Tennessee was just the next step in the process of undermining democracy. What we're talking about in Texas is not the first bad bill, is not the first anti-democratic instinct of Republicans. It is just the latest in a long line of them, and the public becomes desensitized to these things, unfortunately. And Paige, if there's one thing through this podcast that I think you and I are constantly trying to do is not let people become desensitized, not let this become normalized. And, you know, look at what's happening in Louisiana, another place where this is playing out. Right. In Louisiana, it's interesting because it's not an explicit act by the legislature or by lawmakers. This time, it is state officials asking to end a legal agreement that ensures fair judicial districts for the state Supreme Court. Right. And hasn't this been kind of the story of 2023 in some ways? Like, you know, that, that, the, that, the, that the weaponization of these courts... Uh, and the undermining the the undermining of independent judiciary, like we saw in North Carolina, is now spreading to to other states where Republicans are really, really trying to literally gerrymander in this instance, um, but find ways to undermine an independent judiciary that doesn't always rule their way. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in Louisiana and also in other states like Mississippi. 
Mark, Mississippi is the perfect example of a place where officials are not just trying to weaponize a court, but actually create a new court system to better benefit themselves. So we talked about this bill, HB 1020, uh, a couple episodes ago on the podcast with Arika Bennett-Scott. This bill, HB 1020, creates a new judicial district in Jackson, Mississippi, where judges and prosecutors, rather than elected by the residents, would be appointed by state officials. And that may sound, okay, state officials appointing, appointing prosecutors and judges. How uncommon is that? You have to consider the fact that Jackson, Mississippi is over 80% black, but all state officials in Mississippi are white. And in fact, Mississippi hasn't elected a black statewide official since 1890, which just so happens to be the same year that the state constitution was rewritten with the express purpose of keeping black voters from exercising their rights. Yeah, I I actually think this is the most egregious thing going on in the country right now for democracy. You know, I, I, I understand the the impulse for all of the attention to focus on Tennessee, what we saw in Tennessee was a, was a travesty. But I think even that situation pales in comparison to what is going on in Mississippi. I mean, Mississippi has a terrible history of voter suppression. It has some of the most restrictive voting laws in the country. It still has a felon disenfranchisement law that stems from that 1890 racist, overtly racist, avowedly racist constitution. And now on top of all of that, it's the state is targeting Jackson, Mississippi, and only Jackson, Mississippi, which is the largest city in the state. It is 80% black voters and citizens and of course, it is the democratic stronghold in the state, right? It is the place that, that has the most democratic uh, elected officials and democratic voters. So what they are doing is stripping that city and its population of the right to elect and select its own judges and prosecutors. You know, Paige, I have a lot of, of, um, uh, of concern about the way in which judges at the state level are elected in this country. You know, I think it's overall better to have more insulation. But what excuse can the legislature of Mississippi have for doing this to Jackson? And if you're not paying attention to what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi, then frankly, you're, you're not understanding the authoritarian impulse and the erosion of democracy in this country, Paige. And it is, it is very frustrating to me, and you can hear me say it in my voice. Everyone wants to focus on a handful of quote-unquote swing states. But what's happening is when states like Mississippi are targeted in this way, when states like Texas are targeted in this way, it prevents the voters of those states from exercising power. It prevents them from exercising power in their daily lives. It prevents them from exercising power to turn those states. You know, there's nothing magical, Paige, about Texas not being a swing state or a blue state. There's nothing magical about Mississippi not being a swing state or, 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 or even a democratic state. What's magic about them is the, the efforts to which the legislatures in those states will go 
to keep Houston and Harris County from exercising political power, to keep black Mississippians and Jackson from exercising political power, from keeping Nashville and Memphis and Knoxville from exercising political power. And that is the great tragedy of our time. And you're either, uh, you know, it's, it was just the 60th anniversary of the letter from the Birmingham jail from Martin Luther King Jr. And people ought to go read that because it is, it, it talks and it focuses on the indifference of the moderates, the indifference of white people who thought of themselves as progressive on civil rights, but were not willing to do what was necessary to protect the expansion of voting rights and civil rights in the South and undo Jim Crow. And I worry, Paige, that that is what we are seeing right now in, in, in Mississippi and in other states like Texas. Mark, I think what's also interesting is that so many of these cities being targeted, Jackson, Nashville, they're the state capitals. They're where the state house is. It's almost as if lawmakers feel like they have some extra claim on how the city is run because that just so happens to be where they are writing bills and passing legislation. They view Jackson and Nashville and cities like it as you know, you have this political area where they're doing their work that somehow is more important than the people actually living in those cities day to day who are trying to live their lives, taking their kids to school, working, you know, visiting friends and family. Real people live in those cities. They're not just political playgrounds for lawmakers to make a point. Right. And we're seeing the same thing, by the way, in North Carolina, right? The capital of North Carolina is Raleigh, which is in Wake County. And, you know, again, you know, Wake County being a, uh, a Democratic city, uh, along with it neighboring Durham, um, which is also a, a Democratic city. Um, but we're seeing Wake County targeted. Right. The sole Republican lawmaker from Wake County in the North Carolina legislature introduced a bill that would change how Wake's county commissioners are elected, mainly because Wake tends to, tends to elect Democratic commissioners. And she wanted to change the way that they were elected. Eventually, the lawmaker and the county commission came to a compromise of how elections will be run. But again, this is one lawmaker from one county trying to change the way elections happened because they don't like how they run. Yeah, and what's really fascinating about this page is that they the change that the Republican lawmaker wanted was to move to nonpartisan elections. Well, isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? Because the state Supreme Court in North Carolina used to have nonpartisan elections. And the Republican legislature made that change to make them partisan because they thought it would help them elect Republican justices to the North Carolina Supreme Court. And it did, by the way. It worked. They were able to, to flip control of the, the court to being now very conservative Republican. But they did it by requiring judges to run in partisan elections. And here you are in Wake County where non where, where the partisan elections are not benefiting the Republicans. So there they want it to be nonpartisan. It's a bit of mental gimnastics that Republicans must go through to, ju to justify all these decisions. The decision I'm most interested in hearing Republicans justify is a bill from North Carolina House Republicans 
that would basically eliminate one person, one vote in the North Carolina legislature and require each of the state's 50 senators to represent two of North Carolina's 100 counties, regardless of population. And who does that hurt? Populous counties that happen to have Democratic cities. And who does that help? More rural areas that do tend to vote Republican. Yeah. I mean, first of all, let's just tell the audience, it would be clearly unconstitutional, like clearly 9-0 on the Supreme Court unconstitutional. So it's not going to happen. But it is part of a larger mindset, which I'm sure everyone in, uh, in our audience has seen some meme about, where, you know, re Republicans act as if what matters is land mass. <laughs> you know, they, they want elections by the, by the, by the acre, <laughs> not by the person. And so, you know, they like to act like, well, there's not represent, fair representation because not every county has the same number of representatives. Well, well but like, why would, county, why would land have the same number of representatives? What matters are people. And the fact that the people tend to congregate in cities is a reason for there to be more representation. But, but I mean, how many times did we see Donald Trump talk about, like, how he would have won a state if you didn't count a city? It's like, well, what do you mean you don't count the city? Right. Or remember seeing those big maps on election night showing red and blue and people being like, there's so much red. How, how could Republicans lose? Because all the people live in the blue. That's where more people live. Yeah, and it's part of, you know, it's laughable at some level, but it is part of a larger disinformation and misinformation campaign that Republicans are engaged in to create a permission structure to undermine free and fair elections. And so when you look at what all of these, you know, situations that we talked about today have in common is sort of an escalating type of voter suppression, an escalating type of, of gerrymandering, an escalating type of anti-democracy measures. You know, there's like the gateway, you know, redistricting and gerrymandering is kind of like the gateway drug, you know, Paige? Just say no. Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we're the Republican legislature. First, we'll just start gerrymandering our own state legislature. And then that feels really good. Then they're like, okay, what can we do next? Ooh, I know what we can do. We can prevent college students from voting. Oh, that feels really good because they don't vote for us. Okay, what can we do next? Right? And they kind of like go up this list until you're left with, you know, a guy in Harris County trying to disenfranchise <laughs> the people of Harris County and allow the state to call new elections if he doesn't like the outcome. Mark, I want to ask you a question about something you said about the North Carolina bill being blatantly unconstitutional. Like, there's no way that this would pass. What do you think it says about the current state of our democracy or the Republican Party that lawmakers feel no shame in introducing bills that are not just teetering on constitutionality, but outright violate years of federal law, Supreme Court decisions, agreed upon norms when it comes to voting rights? Yeah. So, Paige, this is something I've thought a lot about and am planning on writing for Democracy Docket um, in, the, in the near future, that, you know, every lawmaker takes an oath to uphold the Constitution. Now, in states, they oftentimes take an oath to uphold both the federal and state Constitution. 
But, you know, those ceremonies you see where people, you know, raise their hand and put their hand on a Bible or um, some other religious text uh, and, you know, say I do and repeat an oath to uphold the laws and the Constitution. What's really interesting is that that has turned into an empty gesture from Republicans. Like you would in the way in which our constitutional system is supposed to run. Every legislator who's looking at a piece of legislation should say, does this comport with my oath? You know, if, if, I, if I target black voters for discrimination, does this comport with my oath to uphold and protect the Constitution? And if the answer is no, then they shouldn't vote for the bill. You know, they shouldn't vote for the bill. They should say, it doesn't uphold my oath, and therefore, you know, that comes first, and so I can't, I can't vote for it. And the same with governors, right? Governors should, should have to ask that question when they sign legislation. We have seen Republican governors in their signing statements, I, I recall in Arkansas, like express doubt as to whether something is constitutional, but say, well, the courts will figure this out. Well, the courts are kind of a backstop on the constitutional structure. They're not really supposed to be the only arbiter of whether uh, whether something is constitutional. But that is very much part of the erosion of democracy is that, you know, they are that that Republican lawmakers feel like they have free reign to enact grossly unconstitutional or illegal um, uh, illegal um, uh, uh, laws. And if they get lucky with a the court, they get lucky with a court. And if not, they don't. But you know, they, they don't feel any responsibility. You know, the, the legislator caught on tape in Tennessee, I thought expressed it best. This was the Republican who was rebuking his fellow Republican for not voting for, to expel the one lawmaker. And the reason why that, why the Republican who didn't vote to expel said, well, basically the resolution was wrong. Like it was factually wrong. You didn't put in any evidence. Like, I couldn't do it because it wouldn't uphold my oath. And, and one of the Republicans chastising him said, quote, you got to do what's right even when you think it might be wrong. And that's, Paige, what you're talking about. Mark, this is Democracy Docket. Emphasis on the docket. We focus a lot on litigation and courts. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that all of the states we've talked about, Texas, Tennessee, Louisiana, North Carolina, in all those states, there's ongoing litigation challenging the fairness of the state's legislative maps. And in many of those states as well, there's litigation challenging the fairness of the congressional maps. These are legislatures making law, introducing bills in districts that may or may not be fair according to a court. And in some of these states, we know that the districts weren't fair. North Carolina had to redraw their map, you know? Yeah. And Texas, anyone who looks at the map can probably tell you that, that that's not a that's not a square deal. Yeah. And so as I said, redistricting is the gateway drug of anti-democratic authoritarianism. You know, the the look at look at look at what the reaction was among Republicans in Wisconsin when a new progressive justice got elected. They were immediately talking about impeaching her. She hasn't done anything. She hasn't even taken office. She doesn't take office till August. But they are so concerned that she will alter 
the, the redistricting map in a future case that hasn't even been filed yet, right? Like this is, the, this is authoritarianism to the extreme, right? She hasn't taken office. There is no case, but they are afraid that she will rule that the state legislative map is an impermissible gerrymander. So they're already talking about impeaching her over a position she doesn't yet hold in a, in a, in a ruling in a case that hasn't yet been filed. And so that just shows you how powerful, um, you know, Republican gerrymandering is within that party a as a starting point. But like I said, it doesn't end there. Um, it continues. And that is the reason why, you know, we, we took a brief hiatus page uh, for, uh, uh, for, for our own little mini spring break. But it is the reason why week after week, uh, we come back with this Defending Democracy podcast, and it's the reason why Democracy Docket every day is posting content and uh, opinion and news that, frankly, you can't find anyplace else. I hope everyone will continue to, you know, follow this, uh, follow this podcast and, and, and listen, um, and also uh, uh follow Democracy Docket and, and read its content and share it because it's a very scary time in our history. It's a very scary time in our history. And I am proud of the work that you, Paige, and the rest of the Democracy Docket team do every day to help um, chip away at the, the growing risk um, to free and fair elections in a democratic uh, system of government. You can find all of the cases, court filings, and articles we mentioned today linked in the description below. Paige, now for the really big news of the week. Do you know what happened? Tell me. Democracy Docket just launched its new spring merch line. That's right. You can now support Democracy Docket and keep its content free and also show your support for voting rights. And most importantly, Bodie now has a new squeaky toy. We knew how much Bodie loved his Democracy Docket bandana. He is Democracy's favorite dog. We thought he deserved a little something extra since he's helping us protect democracy so much. So we have a brand new dog toy coming his way. It's so exciting for Bodhi. He is literally waiting by the door. That's what's going on in the Elias house. And Paige, it's not just for Bodhi. We have new koozies, we have new t-shirts, lots of new stuff over on the Democracy Docket store. So head to democracydocket.com or click the link in the show description below to shop. Thanks for listening to Defending Democracy. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. And to find out more and stay up to date on all of the latest voting rights and election news, please visit democracydocket.com and make sure you are subscribed to our free daily and weekly newsletters. We'll see you next time. Today's episode was produced by Paige Moskowitz, Alexa Rothenberg, and Sophie Feldman. It was edited by Paige Moskowitz. Defending Democracy is a production of Democracy Docket, LLC.